just your first time here, we want to say we're so glad you came. We're so glad you're a part of us and a part of the service today as well. If you're broadcasting online, a special welcome to you as well. Are you ready to do something odd and weird in our service this morning? Uh, This is the service that's ready for it. Look at these gorgeous gentlemen right now. We're going to sell them off this morning. Uh, They are for hire as well. I uh, I, uh, remember watching. uh, Now, there's going to be a point to what I'm about to do, right? You're going to get to the end of it and go, I don't know what he's doing. But Um, uh, uh, he's already started. Uh, There was a movie that I I remember watching years ago. And I'm not going to suggest it because I had a lot of cursing in it. Um, uh, But there's a movie that some of you might remember. And it had a character in it called Kaiser Soze. Does anyone remember that? Kaiser Soze? You remember Kaiser Soze? All right. He's already loving it already, okay? And so Kaiser Soze is one of the guys in the lineup, right? And so there was, a, there, was, there was a guy who had a car, and his car got hijacked by someone, and, and the guy that came up to him had a gun, and he goes, give me the money, or, you know, give me the key, give me the keys, man, and, and kind of roughly said that, give me the keys, man, and, um, and, and, and so, you know, the, the, the guy whose car had been hijacked had to stand there behind the, you know, the one-way mirror and look at it and figure out who was it just by the way that he had actually said it. So I thought, hey, I'm going to do that this morning. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask them to have different emotions on, on you know, saying, give me, give me the keys, man, right? And you're going to be the angry one, right? Because you look angry already, right? <laughs> so... So you're going to be the angry one, and uh, so you're all going to have, so you've got to reach inside of yourself and, and figure out, what is my, what's my character, what's my emotion, where am I, what's it, ready, steady, scene. <clears throat> oh, you have to do it in the microphone. Yeah, give me the keys, man. Yeah, no other version of that. Okay. Give me the keys, man. Okay, good. Well done. Next one, please. Give me the keys, man. All right, next one. Give me the keys, man. Okay. Hey, man, give me them keys. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> All right. One of these was the perpetrator. Okay. Was it number one, contestant number one? Was he the perpetrator? Yeah? No? No? Okay. Was it number two? Was he the perpetrator? No. Uh, what about number three? Was he the perpetrator? No. Not even the angry one? Okay. Was it number four? <laughs> You're a racist crowd. That's what you are. That's what you are. Oh my gosh! What kind of a church are we? He's my brother from another mother. Okay. Uh, all right. So, so there's a point to this. I want to. I want to give you a different phrase, right? You're gonna gonna a different phrase. And um, again, you know, you're going to do the, the summer thing, you know, just bring up a, a, a you know, this time, this time you're going to be really weird. Um, so just, that's it. It's already done. He's ready for it. You're going to be weird. And uh, so what I want you to do is I want you to say, Jesus has changed my life, right? Okay. So reach deep within yourself. <sighs> deep breath, deep breath. There we go. Hey, come here. Jesus has changed my life. Okay. That's good. That's good. Okay. Number two. Jesus changed my life. Okay. All right. Jesus has changed my life. <laughs> All right, dude. Cool. That's good, right? Jesus changed my life. All right. Okay. Did you believe number one? Did you believe number two? Did you believe number three? What? The first service said they did believe him, uh, but they also believed he was weird, right? Okay. So did you believe number four? Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. 
All right, there's a purpose to this, and I'm not going to tell you what the purpose of that is just yet, right? But uh, just think Kaiser Sozi, right? Give me the money, man. Give me the keys. Okay, so, so I, this year we have, you know, we've got this vision of gather, grow, and go. Gather together, you know, not just here on a Sunday morning, but gather together in relationships and, and grow together. Grow in the, in the learning about God and how to walk with God. And of course, the final one we have is go. Gather, grow, and go. And every month we've done, for the first month we did gather, the second month we did grow, and then the third one is go. So this season, this, this, this series for this month is all about go. Now, I'm actually going to be taking a text which is from one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples, right? So he had just died on the cross. We're about to celebrate Easter, and then he rose from the grave, and he spent about 40 to 50 days or so, uh, you know, spending time with his disciples and, and getting to, you know, uh, teach them and train them after he rose from the grave. And then he said, guys, I'm about to leave, and as I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, but I must leave. I remember speaking with Phil Chang this week, and he said one of the best gifts that Jesus did was to leave us because it forced us to actually become more of who we were, to operate like him. And, and so he actually left, and he said, he gave us some last instructions of what is expected of us. And part of those last instructions involved this sentence that he said in Mark chapter 16, verses 15. And he said this, he said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this scripture and I'm going to I'm going to piece it apart. I'm going to tease it apart and just go through word by word. And that may seem like a boring way of doing this, but hopefully you'll be able to follow me and see where I'm going with this because I believe that every word has an intention to it. I believe that nothing that Jesus said was without power. Everything he said had power and there was an intention to what he said. So I'm going to go through these again, one, uh, one word at a time, and, and try to tease out what did he mean by each of these words. And of course, the first word that we have there in our sentence is the word go, right? It's a pretty straightforward word. Go. Go is an action word. It's, a, it's something that you're expecting uh, uh, someone to do something. If you say, go do that. So if I tell my son, go take a shower, you stink. I expect him to go take a shower, right? You don't want him to go, I'll go study it. I'll go think about it. Can we talk about this more? No, the talking is over. It's done. The time for showering is now. Go take a shower, right? And all you parents who have got stinky boys say amen to that, right? Go is an action word. You do it now. There's a point where teaching must stop and doing must start. Let me say it again. There's a point where Teaching must stop, learning must stop, and doing, action, going must begin. It's not only just an, a, a point of obedience, but it's because of this. You can't learn anymore until you just do it. In fact, you can't get any more from God. You can't get closer to the Father until you just do it, right? You can't get closer to Him until you do it. Even in the Old Testament, there's a word that is used for knowing God, and it's called the knowledge of God. But the root word of the word knowledge in the Old Testament is actually experience. You remember the, in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are in the garden, they've got the tree, and it's like, don't touch the tree. And the tree was called the knowledge of good and evil. 
It wasn't just that they would eat the, the, eat the, the apple and stuff and, and go, oh, I know what evil is and I know what, what, what uh, sin is and I know what good is. I know the difference now. No, no, no. They had to experience disobeying God in order to be able to, be able to know what good and evil was, right? So it's a little bit like, how many of you like going to Disneyland? You love Disneyland, right? But if you had only bought the ears or got the t-shirt or subscribe to the channel, watch all the Mickey Mouse shows in the world, you could say you know what Mickey Mouse is all about. You could know what Disney is all about, but you don't really know until you've gone there. Hello, you see what I'm saying? You know, it's amazing how children are excited about the idea of Disney until they get there, and then their brains explode, right? You have to take a roll of duct tape just to get their brains back in their heads again. It's just like, it's amazing. I remember the first time I went to Disney, and I'm like, I can't believe they even shaped the bushes to look like characters. This is amazing, right? But no one had told me about the shaped bushes. It's only when you go that you actually truly know what's going on. You see, it's going that is an extension of growing. You can't really know God properly and fully until you have done something with what you already know, right? In fact, I've learned this when I grew up with my father, and, and uh, 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 I, I, my father was a preacher. But when I, if you asked me to try and recall most of the teachings that he said from stage, I probably wouldn't remember most of it. Maybe little things here and there. I don't remember most of the things that my dad said in a sermon from stage, but let me tell you what I do remember. I remember the things that he said when I worked alongside him. Sometimes he'd have me in the garden. He would say, okay, okay, son, I want you to mow the yard today. I want you to edge it and trim it and stuff like that. Okay, come over here and help me with this tree. And we start working on the, on the tree that needed some help. And he goes, now look at this tree. You've got to take the dead branches out so that the other leaves can, the other branches can actually have some more room to grow in and the leaves can start to blossom so there's more space to actually get more fruit. Do you know that Jesus said that too? He said, you've got to cut off some of the dead branches so the other branches can actually grow properly. In fact, when you're looking after the roots, you've got to make sure the soil is uh, aerated so that the, uh, the, the oxygen can get into the roots as well because the roots are so important. They're even more important than the branches because it doesn't matter how much work you do on the branches. If the roots are suffocating, you're not going to get the fruit that you need. Do you know that Jesus said that? I remember the things that my dad would teach me in the middle of doing work with him, Right? I remember when I had to put my hands on stuff, I can visually and, 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 and uh, uh, mentally and emotionally and relationally remember the things that he said because we were doing something together. The same is true with our faith. The more that we act in faith to go to do something, we will receive more of God in our lives. We will have more wisdom, more insight, more peace, more joy, more strength, more confidence because we know we're learning with our Father. The second word that's in that sentence is go. It says go into. Now, I never thought I would ever get to the place where I'd be speaking about the word into from stage. doesn't seem like there's much to say from that. But I believe that the word into is probably the scariest word in this whole sentence. I'll tell you why. It's because into basically means you have to leave your circle of comfort and go into another circle that you have no power, authority, or familiarity with. You have to leave all the things that are, that are in order, that are in control, that are in your comfort levels and standards, that are at your temperature level, and now you have to leave that and go into a different, completely different circle that you don't have any familiarity with. 
And I think back on, uh, I, I had the privilege of, of my parents, you know, uh, taking me to different places, and they took me to different countries, took me to different churches, different cities, uh, you know, from vacations, and even going on mission trips, etc. and I learned a lot by going with them, and, I, and I'd, I'd, I'd done a lot of traveling when I was a child, and even... Even afterwards, when I became in my 20 years old, I, I even went to New Zealand. I lived there for six months, and, and then I came over to America with, uh, to, to work for Pastor Mark, and, uh, and it was all a joy. But there was one trip that I took that scared the living um, daylights out of me. Um, I was thinking bejesus, but I don't even know what that means. <laughs> bejesus? What's bejesus? Um, and so, and so it, it, scared the, 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 it scared me, right, to go to this place, and it was to go, it was, it was the trip that I took to go to college, which was on the other side of Scotland, right? I've lived in the other side of the world. I've moved to the other side of the world here, and yet none of these trips were scary to me, but the trip going to, 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 to my college was more scary for me. Why? And I thought about it for quite a few years because I didn't know why I was so nervous going to college, and I realized what it was is because when you're traveling by yourself, it's so much scarier. I believe that the key to going into something with confidence is to go in partnership. When you've got someone with you, it gives you strength. That's why, that's why the Bible says that one puts a 1,000 to flight, but ten, two puts 10,000 to flight, right? That's why I believe that marriage makes us stronger. That's why Jesus sent out the disciples in twos, because it gives you strength and confidence. Let me tell you something that I, I've been considering lately. I've been wondering whether the church has done a disservice to us. I mean, not just our church, but the church universal. Whether the church has done a disservice to us simply because we as a church haven't learned how to become a good partner to you. Now, maybe, maybe you feel that our church is a good partner to you, but, but I think generally and universally, the church is not necessarily a good partner to many of us because we're, we're not necessarily that proud to try and bring someone new to our church church. And, uh, and, and when you think about it, why would I not be entirely proud of this? And I think it's simply because of this. It's because oftentimes churches are just weird. They're just peculiar. They're just strange. I remember Rory telling me a story once he went to his church and the first time he had gone to a church and, and, uh, and he was, I think he was dating someone or something or maybe you were just moved by Jesus. Okay, so he went to church and, and he was in line and the pastor told him to stand up and he said, just hold hands together. So they started holding hands and the lady beside him goes, and start, you know, speaking in tongues. Now, don't get me wrong, tongues is in the Bible. I believe in speaking in tongues. It's a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual language. But he's standing there going, what the heck is going on? Oh, can I disconnect myself from this woman and move to the other? Because when people are looking at the person beside you, believe me, you feel like they're looking at you, right? Has anyone ever been to a church where you felt like it was weird? Even if you go to a super traditional church, you go to a Catholic church, you'll sit down, you stand up, you sit down, you stand up, you're like, hey, are we in jazzercising right now? What is this that's going on, right? How do you invite other people to church if you think the church is weird? And the more I thought about this, I suddenly realized that I believe there's a tension in churches, and it's this. There's a tension between being weird versus being watered down, right? 
The being weird thing is when odd things happen in church. And what we do is we say, well, well, it's okay for us to be weird because the Bible says that we're a peculiar people, right? So we're a peculiar people. So we got the freedom to be weird and do things that are really strange. The world doesn't understand us, but we're not a part of the world, really. But do you have to be weird when you do it? Well, well, we don't want to be watered down is what the next argument is. So what we do is we try and be, you know, we try and be as, maybe we'll become a church where we just do everything in order and with straight lines and we do everything very nicely and politely, you know, and we're just, we're not trying to offend anybody whatsoever, right? But it's just becoming watered down. It's like there is no power in you. There's no change in you. Because someone can, can someone come alive in this church for a start? Can anyone shout Amen. Oh, you're all alive. Okay, right. So, so it's like, well, good, we're alive. We're taking the temperature. But is there not something that is between these two things? It just seems, why do we want to be weird? Let, let, me, let me think of this. If I turned up on a Sunday morning and I just came in my whitey tighties, right? Mm-hmm. You're visioning it right now. You just got the visualization. You know? I got my whitey tighties on, right? And I get up and I just start singing, I got my tight pants, I got my tight pants on, right? And I start dancing on stage and I'm like, Jesus loves you. And I got my whitey tighties on. How many of you would bring someone? I say half of you would, okay. That's right. Come to my church, it's awesome. You'll never find any Jesus there, but you've got to see this guy in his tighty whiteys, right? Okay, so it's not necessarily something you would actually bring someone to to see Pastor Peter in his whitey tighties, right? But guess what? It's in the Scripture. If you read in the Old Testament, David, when he gathered in the Ark of the Covenant, which was, the, the, it was like the, the box that God decided to put his Holy Spirit in before he actually brought it to us in the New Testament where Holy Spirit resides in us, he had this box where he said, that's where my Holy Spirit will reside. And it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And when it had been stolen away and David took the armies and he was able to recover it back, he brought it back to the holy city, rejoicing God. And when he turned up, he was in his tighty whities he was dancing and praising God in his underwear. Read it. It's in the scripture. It's as weird as you can get. But let me tell you, it's not permission for you to turn up in your tighty whities and worship God. Right? And sometimes what we do is we find ways to justify why we do what we do because, well, it's in the Bible. Just because it's in the Bible is not permission for us to actually be weird as well. So what is the what is the breaking thing? What's the thing that breaks the standoff between being weird and being watered down? This is what I believe it is. I believe it's in Proverbs eleven thirteen. It says this, he who wins souls is wise. It's not being weird and it's not being watered down. It's about being wise. It's about being reasonable. And I believe that one of the best things we, we do is, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sarah and, and, uh, and Molly and the team put on these amazing shows at Christmas time and, and Easter time. In fact, we're going to have one scene that is just for, uh, just for our teaching on, on uh, Easter, and I'm excited about that as well. And the reason why we do these shows, the reason why we make music and stuff is because we're, we're, we're actually carrying like vessels, of them, like vessels we're carrying the Word of God, the good news to people so that they can receive it in a way that doesn't seem weird, and it's not watered down. And I love the way that there's so many ministries in the church that really serve people in a, in, a, in a really serious way and in a deep way, in a meaningful way without being weird. And I believe what they're doing is they're winning souls by being wise, 
by looking at the situation and say, God, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do in this situation so the person can receive the good things that you're trying to give to them through me? Are you following me so far? So it says, go into, the next one is this, all the world. Go into all the world. Now, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, go into all the world, one of the things that he said is, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I looked at it and I thought, why did he put this order of, of like locations? Why, why those specific places? And the more I looked at it, the more <clears throat> I think it means this. The first place, Jerusalem, is where they came from. That's their center point. That was their, in fact, that's, that's the center point, the holy city, really. That's their center point. That's, their, that's, that's where the roots were. And I believe that God has called us to our family first, to love our family, to look after our family, to bring, to, to, to show them that God has changed you from the inside to the outside too. We should love our family as Christ has done. Then Judea was just basically extended area that was around that. It's the extended circles. That's maybe your friends, maybe your extended family, maybe your workmates. And then it talks about Samaria. Here's the interesting thing with Samaria. Samaria is the area where that story of the Good Samaritan comes from. And the Good Samaritan is basically one of the guys that were rejected by the Israelites. You see, what happened was they had started intermarrying with other nations and the Israelites like, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't dabble in that stuff. God's told us not to, to have anything to do with other gods or, or other things. We don't want to be associated with your addiction. We don't want to be associated with your dysfunction, with your brokenness. We're, we're pure Christians and we don't want to work with that. Listen, Jesus said, go to the rejected ones. Go to the ones that are struggling, the ones that you don't want to be in partnership with. Go to the ones who have hurt you. Maybe your family has hurt you. Maybe your boss has hurt you. He's still calling you to go to them. Even if that means that you have to start going to them as you put your knees down uh, on the ground in prayer, you're going to God in prayer for them, even though they're the ones that rejected you. And of course, the last one on that list, I think is pretty obvious, that is the rest of the world. That's everybody else that's on the list. Go into all the world. Number four, go into all the world and preach. And preach. The unfortunate thing with the word preach is that I believe that the word preach has now become a word that basically means tell people what to do, point at them and tell them what to do. I don't think that's what the word preach means, right? In fact, if we have it in our vernacular now where we say, hey, don't preach at me. It basically means don't, don't look down on me. Don't be condescending to me. But I remember an old guy saying this to me once and he said, preach and if necessary, use words. Let your wife, let your wife? No, let your life let your wife do the work. Sorry. Oh, what have I been drinking? What's in this? Mm. London gin. That's good. Okay. Let your life do the preaching. Let your works, the Bible says that. Jesus said, let your good deeds be seen by those that are around you. Let, let it be seen. Let your life be the, the story that your life has entirely changed, that people are going, what's different about you? What have you got that I don't have? That's what I believe, first and foremost, preaching should be. This, what I'm doing on stage is just one version of it. It's good that we're able to use our words, but imagine how much more people will be changed if they can see a change in our lives. In fact, there's an old... Um, foreign translation that I couldn't find where I remember reading this years ago. It said, go into all the world and gossip the good news. And I love that translation because I can do that. I can, I can gossip. Hey, did you hear some good news? 
Which leads me to the next thing, which he said, go and preach the good news. You know, the thing is with good news is I wonder sometimes we have forgotten good news. All we're doing is telling news or we're telling bad news. But what is good news? Let me tell you what good news is. Good news is my mother got healed from cancer. That's good news. Good news is my son went off to war and he was on the front lines in the the Iraq war and he came back and now he's home. He's safe and sound. That's good news. Good news is that that my my, my child was dying, but God has reached down and he touched my child, which is my story. I mean, my my two-year-old son was dying in, in hospital for 10 days and I saw that God touched his body and changed his life. That's my testimony. God is good in my life. I love John's testimony in the group, and he was saying he only ever met his mother twice in life. Once when he was 12 years old, and she was asking for drug money. And the second time was when, she, when he was burying her on the ground. And as he was going into nefarious things as well, and doing, it got to the point where he's like, I just want God to send me to prison. I'm sick of my life. I'm sick of the things that I'm doing. Send me to prison, God. And the next day, God sends her to prison. Am I right? You can stand up and say yes. I'm just telling your testimony. But the fact is, something got changed in his life. God answered his prayer because he called out. How much will it take for us, for for people to have, for things to go wrong in their life before they literally call out to God and see that God will answer their prayers? It happened to me. I had to go through a long period of pain and difficulty. I get it. God's not trying to protect you from pain. He's trying to protect you from sin. He's trying to protect you from your own, uh, 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 going your own way without a relationship with him. And I believe that God has called us to have that relationship and then tell other people about it too. You see, what is good inside of you? Are people not sold by the gospel simply because nothing sounds good that is coming out of us? And I don't believe it's because you don't have anything good. I wonder if it's because sometimes you've forgotten something's good in your life. That God has done amazing things. Sometimes I think we've forgotten the good things that God has given to us all of our lives because we're so focused on the problems that we have today in our lives. I can't pay my bills. I can't go on with my wife. I can't control my children. My, my, my job's not working. And all you can see is problem, problem, problem. But if you look back on your life and see all the things that God did do in your life, you've got a pile of good news. And you need to focus on how God did things because if he did it before, he can do it again. Just because he doesn't do it on your time doesn't mean he's not a good God with good news. There is good news inside of you. And some of you, I believe, need to figure out how to get back to that good news. Last week, you remember, I told a story about a guy called Scott Harrison who was a nightclub owner and he was a, an addict himself and an alcoholic. And he said, I just, he said, my life was a mess and, and I was having one of these big parties down in Punta del Este or whatever it was. And in the middle of it, I realized my life stinks. I don't want to do this anymore. He said, I used to be a Christian when I was a child, and I suddenly realized I need to go back to doing something that's good. And, and so he, he, he just sold everything. He left everything, and, and he went onto the mission field in Liberia, and, uh, and he was working with uh, Mercy Ships, which does an amazing job. And, and as he's there, he noticed how much people actually drink bad water. And he said he noticed it was actually causing them diseases and he researched how how much bad water affected the world. And he said about one in five or so are affected by bad water and most diseases come through bad water. 
And so he said, well, I need to dig a well in this village. So he went back to America and he raised some money and he went and dug a well. And one thing led to the next, and one thing led to the next. And if you remember the story last week where I showed a video on the screen about a young girl who was nine years old and she, uh, she wanted to put money into this whole thing called Charity Water to dig wells too. And so she raised $220 on her birthday and she gave her birthday away, gave her all her birthday money away. And then the very next day she was in a car crash and she died. And people were so moved that the last thing that she did was to give herself and give her birthday money away to people that she'd never met before, that they started giving money into her fund as well. And she raised $1.2 million after she died. And we remember that video that moved many of us. And as I was reading more of the story of, uh, of Scott Harrison, he said, he said, quite a while ago, I'd come across a story of this guy in, in Ethiopia who had told me about this young girl, another young girl, who, whose job was to go and get water. And unfortunately, in, in third world countries, it's mostly the women and the young girls that have to go get the water. Men don't really do it that much. And so her job was to go get the water for her family. And it's this big clay jar that she had, and she'd have a rope that she would fill up the water and then put it on her head. But she had to walk eight miles and she passed by this tree, and she was going through this desert, and she got eight miles to try and get to this tiny little bubbling brook just to get water for her family. And on the way, she dropped the jar, and it smashed. And she was so overwhelmed with the horror of this that her family wouldn't have water. She decided to take the rope and hang herself from the tree, and she killed herself. And Scott Harrison heard about this story, and something touched him so deeply, he said, I need to go back there. So he got on a plane and he flew all the way over there and then he got in a car and he drove for three and a half hours to go as far as he could. Then he had to get a donkey to carry his backpack and he walked nine hours to get to the village where she came from. And he said, show me the tree. And he went back to the tree so he could touch the tree and he said, then show me the well. And he went back to the well and it was just a tiny bubbling brook that was about this big. And he said, I had to go back because I've been doing this job for 10 years. I've forgotten why I'm digging wells. I needed to go see why I had to bring the good news to those people that I'm going to raise money to dig a well for you so your children don't have to die. I believe that God is calling us to be the ones that go and take the good news to people whose families are falling apart whose families are, are in a position where their marriages are falling apart and they're brokenhearted because their children now don't have an intact family. I believe that God has called us to go out and be hope to people, to help them to dig a well in their life, I'll dig a well of eternal life, as Jesus said. Jesus said to a woman at the Samaritan at the, at the well, he said, he said, I've come to give you life that will give you, that will take away all of your thirst and you'll never thirst again. That's the type of wells we're called to dig. But sometimes it's hard for us to keep doing the job. It's hard for us to keep reaching out, to keep loving people simply because we've forgotten the good news. And the most important part of this sentence that Jesus told us was, go into all the world and preach the good news. And we just heard these guys do, you know, they're, they're, give me the keys, give me the money, man. And then, you know, how Jesus has changed my life. And it, even though it's funny, you can tell when something has changed within a person. You can tell. You see it in their eyes. You can hear it in their voice. You can see it in their spirit. You know that God has done something in their life. And I believe this, that they're going to want that. See, the thing is, they don't want to know that Jesus died on the cross. They don't want to know that he rose from the dead. So what? It doesn't do a thing for me. But whatever you've got in your life, I want that. Whatever has changed in your life, I want a piece of that. 
I can see there's good news in you and whatever you have, how do I get to be a part of that? Do you see what I'm saying? The good news isn't that we're just telling other people just about Jesus. We're telling people about what Jesus has done in us, how we've entirely changed. Has your life changed? If it's not changed, then you need to get more of God in your life. Maybe you have to go through more of a crushing. Maybe you have to be devastated and and smashed on the rocks of life before you're willing to say, I'm ready, God. Do what you want with me. I'm sick and tired of doing things my own way. Do what you want with me. Listen, that's what he's looking for. The Father is looking to put a story of good news within him.